Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Well, all right. Good morning to y'all. So glad to be here this morning. I think the, uh, the, the Buckingham Palace birds needed to hear that the Lord is the sunshine of their life today. And, uh, and I'm so glad I got to listen in. Well, I want to, I wanna, if you don't mind, we're just going to dive straight in today. Would that be okay? Yeah. Now, uh, the, there might be a possibility at some time during this message that I will open up the picture book and tell a story or two. It could happen. It could happen, but it may not happen. I want to I wanna be careful to uh, stay on target this morning because this is my last shot at you. And it's been wonderful to be here. And Denise and I have, we just really didn't expect to fall in love with y'all the way we did. And y'all just been so wonderful and kind to us. And, and also, it, uh, sometimes it's just like, you know, all of a sudden you walk into places where you're not there doing a church service. You're there meeting new friends that are going to be a part of your life for the rest of your life. And, and that's, that really is how we have felt on, the, on, on this, uh, this journey. I'm waiting for my iPad to get its life together here. Um, I want to yeah, turn, turn to the book of 2 Kings. And uh, without apology, I'm just going to say to you today that this is not going to be so much information and teaching kind of thing that I'm going to do this morning because I feel a, a, a deep prophetic uh, word flowing in me today that I'm going to try to to bring forth. And you, and you, um, some it's not a it's this is not a sermonette for Christianettes. That's what I'm telling you. Uh, th- this is something that I feel like I have this time, the now of this morning, to just uh, teach a bit, but mostly release, just release this word. And Second um, uh, Kings chapter seven, uh, chapter six starts off like this. It says, "And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha." Now, uh, I know that we have a very live room in here, so acoustically, are you be able to hear the consonants in my voice? Can you? Catch the words? Okay. It says, And the sons of Elisha, no, the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now. Now we could just stop right there. There is a see now reality that has to be, I believe, has to be seen in some of our lives today. There is a see now. We have an opportunity now to grab a hold of something that the Lord would would deposit in our spirit that's going to carry uh, uh, not just ramifications, but going to carry results in our future. There are some things that, that God can deposit in us in a moment's time, in a, in, in a moment's response that we will carry for the rest of our lives. There are, there are those times that you can look back at, on your life. As a matter of fact, uh, Mike and I were sitting out uh, uh, yesterday talking a bit about some of, those, uh, some of those moments that mark your life forever. And, and it's not always about looking back, but it's just, it's always about carrying forward. And, uh, and we were talking, you know, remember the first time you heard such and such a band? Now, who did you just put in that sentence? Remember the first time you ever heard that artist that sung so-and-so? 
there was a moment in time that something was awakened in your life that you will carry for the rest of your life. It can be, and it can look like it's in the natural like that. But in fact, sometime God will take you on these wonderful and amazing journeys and put somebody in your life at a bus stop or in an airport or just on one occasion. And, it, and a lot of times we miss those until years and years later when the sea now awakens, into, awakens in the new day. And there are some deposits been made in a lot of your lives that became prophecies that sat on shelves in the name of balance. Well, I just want to let you know that you don't have to live balanced anymore. You know, you're, matter of fact, any time that you're in a, in a church or an environment, and I want to just speak right to this, any time you're around creative, prophetic environments, creative, prophetic people are all just a little bit unstable. Okay, <clears throat> they're always a little unstable. They're always just a little outside of what everybody else considers reality. And there's always somebody that's standing around waiting to say, come on now, come back to reality. Since when is the word reality give us permission to deny what God has put in our lives and called us to do? So creative environments are supposed to feel unstable. They're like... It's, it's a matter of buildings versus boats. Uh, buildings are, are typically built with stability in mind. If you're an architect or an engineer, you know you design buildings and they have codes and all kinds of restrictions to see to it that that building is able to withstand weather and conditions, right? But boats that are going anywhere will always have a sense of instability because its movement is subject to the wind and the weather that it is built to endure. But when you try to become a building because everybody thinks buildings are stable, buildings are built around this kind of idea. Come in and be comfortable in what we have built. Boats are about, well, y'all get in. This is going to be a ride right here now. <laughs> this is going to be a journey. Buildings are about come in and sit back. Uh, boats are about get in and lean forward. Y'all have an incredibly God-ordained rowing team here, unlike many that I've ever seen. But I want to just remind you, never mistake motion for momentum. Destiny is never about drivenness. It's not so much, and sometimes we just need to, sometimes I think we need to hear this. Sometimes the unstable ones are the ones that God uses the most to lead shipwrecked humanity to the rock of salvation. Now think about that. Now, you know, right over the river here, over, they called him over the river Charlie at the time uh, because all the cabbies before cabs, they were horse driven, you know, uh, but they would, uh, over the river Charlie is what they called uh, on Sundays, all of London would, in mass, would be, it, this whole area down here would be just a, a swirling mass of humanity, all of those people trying to figure out who that they were going to, who were going to be able to get to sit under the voice of Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, when he would declare the word across the river. And wh what, he would, what he would do is, is, remember, he would speak with such poetic eloquence and beauty, but it was authentic and it was honest. And remember the thing I said the other day, 
one of the statements that he made that was so powerful and profound was, I have learned to kiss the waves that have slammed me into the rock of ages. Now, that's not just a sermonette for the Christianette. That's an awakening of a knowing of God that you'll carry in the image of your heart for the rest of your life rather than just into your remembrance. Because if you've ever been through the storm, you know that storm, you know, it's, it's, it's not a big deal for, for a boat to be in a storm because they're built for storms. But where it becomes a big deal is when the storm gets in the boat. So when the storm is in the boat, it's a very different thing when the boat is in the storm. But if we've learned that, that the instability of this world is a part of our journey, this world is never going to be politically correct or politically stable. It's never going to be economically sound. It's, it's going to have little seasons, and there's going to be trends that come along in society that make us feel comfortable at times. But right now, all over England, everything is shaking. All over the United States, everything is shaking. All over the Middle East, everything is shaking. All over the, all over the world right now, everything is shaking. And, and if you only get a see now word, there is a see now of God that is awakening those that have seemed to be unstable. They're about to get their destiny defined in their journey as they step up with the prophetic authority they were created for to shape nations and shift cultures into, an, into knowings of God. Because they're carrying not a new definition of Christianity. I have a dear friend here in the room. Who, who teaches and lectures on theology here at one of the major universities. I hadn't seen Jeremy in a good while. He's given his life to Turkey, he and his wife, uh, for all these years. And they've been in Turkey and carrying prayer and praise and 24-7 and worship and this kind of thing over there. And now he's here lecturing on theology. And, on a t and, and uh, uh, Y'all are smiling. Do y'all know who I'm talking about? Well, a uh, he's a dear friend he's a, uh, and a sax player of all things. You've got to watch those guys, of course. Uh, but, you know, even the educational systems are shaking. Uh, uh, we don't even know. We, we, our, our methods of learning and processing information, all of it is shifting and changing. And it's not going to be about an, a generation standing up with the theological prowess to introduce information uh, unto a culture and, and give a new definition of Christianity when we have all these warring religions coming around uh, society. It's not, it's, it's not going to be about um, a new definition of Christianity. It's going to be about a new demonstration of the power of God in the people's lives that carry, carry an awakening force in them. That when they prophetically make declaration, it's not 20 years from now necessarily, it is now. You know, and that's part of what I want us to look at, it, at here today. And there are those in generations past that carried that from here. I know, you know, Eng we're sitting here by the palace and, and think of all the, old, the uh, injustices and everything down through the past as nations would go into conflict and typically England would win. But you've got to remember, in those days, there's some factors that get overlooked. It wasn't always just about the brash boldness of the, and, the, and, the, and the bitter anger of, a, of an overpowering kingdom overpowering the others. Sometimes, back in those days, there was certainly some... Some of those things, factors there. The, the injustices that this nation was responsible for wielding against others, it was very real, guys. But also, there's another factor, too, that we overlooked. In those days, much of the time, it was about might was right. 
And sometimes we fail to overlook that also from this place that gets kind of branded as the bad guys in everybody's world, this is also the place that some of the most powerful preachers and the greatest men and women of God and the greatest missionaries that ever lived, they would go forth carrying a pure heart and carrying the heart of love, and they would go and try to bring the, uh, the, the good news of the gospel of, of Jesus to other lands. And then these power struggle, power you know, machines sometimes would overshadow that with all, all of the negativity and the bad things that would come out of that. But what I'm saying all that to say this, there was those in this land in days past, though, that carried the real deal. And, and, we're, and, and I think it's time again for those to be highlighted coming up out of England, coming up out of this land, coming up out of London with the real deal in their lives and a real demonstration of the real Jesus to a real hurt and lost dying humanity that does not know that there is a, there is a rock of salvation in their storms. So you, there's, there's an apostolic governmental authority, grace, that is on this land uh, that, needs to, uh, that needs to be fully realized in the nations of the earth. And we're, and we're, not, and we're not seeing that right now. But there is a see now word coming to this land. And can I be bold enough and even sound presumptuous enough to say that there's some things that can happen in the spirit realm in this room today that awakens the see now possibilities for a future generation and it'll touch the whole earth. Now, the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now, who were these sons of the prophets? I talked a little bit about them the other day. I'll just give you a very quick, uh, hopefully a real quick understanding of this. They were sometimes called sons of the prophets, sometimes ba the band of prophets, company of prophets. Another biblical word for them would have been the school of the prophets. And here's how it worked. Samuel instituted this thing, started at first, and they would just move in, a, in circuit, if you will, from place to place to place, carrying who they were. And boy, weren't they an unstable group. They were real unstable because they were constantly moving from place to place and they were walking into the lands or into the village or into the city or into the region or over by the river or wherever they were and they would hear what God was saying in the place and they would come into agreement with what God was saying in the place and when they would declare what God was saying in the place, all of heaven and earth would respond because of what these folks were carrying. They were, and they were mighty unstable. Matter of fact, they didn't even have a church building. My goodness. <clears throat> but now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Now I want to just speak to that a minute. Uh, your, your Bible might say straight, if it's a King James, the place where we... Hey, here's what happened. The young guys come to the old guy and they say, Look, we know this is a school of the prophets kind of thing, but listen, old school, let me tell you something. It says, place where we're dwelling with you, Elisha, this place we're hanging with you is too confining. It's too, it's too straight. It's too, uh, you know, it's too limited. So one generation is saying to the older generation, hey, you guys are old school and this ain't happening anymore. So you just, so he says, it's, it, it's not working. And, and then he says, So let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So old guy says to young guy, old guy says, well, go. See, right there it is, just G-O. You know, two-thirds of the word God is go. The rest of it is duh. 
So he answered and he said, go. And, and you know, a lot of times churches are born out of this reality. If we can just do something somewhere that's better than everybody's last disappointment, we'll be the new it. We'll, we'll be the new happening, you know. And, uh, and so we'll be the new wow. And he said, but so he's, so the old guy just says, well, we'll go then. And um, then one of those young guys said, no, wait a minute. Wait, you missed it, old guy. It says, please consent to go with your servant. And so this is not about some renegade generation with some idea that they want to exercise. It's about, wait a minute, there's a young generation full of character and integrity and purity of heart that's rightly aligning with the former generation and stepping up and saying, you know what, where we are is too confining and it's too straight. We don't fit here. We don't fit in old church understandings. We don't fit in old church paradigms. We don't fit within old religious structures. But there's something that God has put in us that's alive, and would you please go with us? We're going to need you when we get there. And so when he said, and so please, go with us, he said, I will go. And he did. So here, go, here comes old school and see now, walking together. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Now, trees always re represent what? Humanity. Always in Scripture. And uh, so they began to cut down trees to build this new structure, build this new place in the new day. But while one was cutting down the tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And when that iron axe head jumped off, he cried out. He said, oh, no, alas, master, no, it was borrowed. And hear how upset he got over that. There's numerous reasons he got that upset. Number one is it was borrowed. Now, remember that iron in Scripture always represents power. Wood always represents humanity. So if you've lost the power and all you have to deal with humanity is humanity, you are powerless and you're in trouble. Did you ever try to cut down a tree with an axe handle? Just take an axe handle and try to cut down a tree sometime. Just take that axe handle. What? If all we have to deal with humanity is humanity, when you hit that tree, you're going to need a dentist. Because it's going to shake everything in you loose. And if we're continuing to spend all this energy with, with our human giftings and our human ideas and our, and our human things, and we're, it's just all it's doing, we're feeling far more negative impact than the tree is. And so we just keep creating this false sense of, Something's happening because the momentum is going, you know, motion and momentum aren't always the same thing, as I said. But now, when that iron axe head jumped into the water, another thing I want you to notice about this young guy, he said, oh no, it was borrowed. That just shows a, a, a depth of integrity there. It wasn't mine. And it's not by power, not by might, but by his spirit that we get it done. It's not our power, it's not our might, but it comes from the spirit of the Lord. Another thing that you see about this is um, one of the reasons it was so uh, hurtful is he had a dream that he thought had just come, that dream will never come to pass. He had dreamed that we're going to go over and we're going to do something powerful and wonderful. When we get there, the first thing you do is lose the power to accomplish it. So immediately he knew this could be over here. 
So the man of God, the old guy, the old school, looks at him and he says, well, here, and this most profound question, he said, where did you lose it? Which tells us that sometimes the old guys are around just to bring common sense to the situation. You're going to find it about where you lost it. Right? Don't go somewhere else looking. About where you lost it is where you'll find it. So common sense is important sometimes. So he, and then he showed him the place where he lost it. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. So that means common sense is overrated. There's no common sense to that. He had to access a God idea in that moment and watch the supernatural take place. And so when the supernatural took place in that moment, it re really it was, a, it was a picture of, a prophetic picture of cutting off the branch, which Jesus was the branch and thrown in and now there was a resurrection of power but the next generation had to have their own resurrection they had to have an understanding deep within them of resurrection even all those thousands of years before it was setting truth in motion for future generations that's what the prophetic does and like i said the other day remember the prophetic is not about telling you what to do it's about awakening who you are so when, when, when he spoke that, what he was doing is he was awakening something in this next generation that would have an understanding of the miraculous, the supernatural, the power. Who is this God that's walking with us? Who is this, who is this uh, Savior, Redeemer? Who is this redemptive one? So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he made it float. And also, if you think about it, uh, that, was, that was some pretty amazing creativity right there. And so what Elisha did is he accessed God's option. God always has an option. And ultimately, creativity is just the ability to access options. And find other ways, new ways, ways that are full of life to, to express uh, what he's saying. So, therefore, he, and then what did he say? Old guy says to young guy, he says, pick it up for yourself. I'm not picking it up for you. You're a part of this. This is your miracle. So you see this convergence of two generations starting to unfold here. Now, here's, here's part of what I feel like I'm supposed to say to you today. Right now, this body is moving into a new transitional season, and you're losing the ability to sing songs. This is not going to be about singing songs anymore. It's going to be about releasing a corporate sound that's going to awaken the atmospheres to respond to the presence of God. Now, it's and releasing a corporate sound, I'm, I'm here to tell you today that it's not coming. I'm here to tell you that it's here. And it is a see now word that God is going to reveal and unveil because he's going to resurrect some truths that are going to carry resurrection that it, he's going to resurrect what will carry resurrection. And in that resurrection, you're going to find that old sounds and old purposes and old knowings of God and old things that, that seem to have been lost in days past where men moved in great power in the preaching of the Word and the revealing of Jesus in this culture is going to... The religious systems, economic structures, and political systems are going to have to yield because there's a bunch of young ones that are carrying something that nobody's ever experienced before, they think. 
and, God, and in your generation, God is going to reveal himself to England in ways that England has never, ever experienced God. In the ways that no, no nation have ever experienced God. It's, we are a generation where the revealing of God is coming in ways that no generation can put in their box or to, or to, to confine because already in their heart it's too confining. But now th this new day is going to do things like this. Let me tell you this. It's not coming. It's here. Heaven and earth are now aligning in worship. So a yielded heart, once things, this, this order of God came in to be there, what you see is this, this order of yield, yieldedness and sensitivity to the spirit realm. What I'm telling you is, is there's going to be angelic visitations in some of your church services and not just the strange intercessors are going to see it, everybody's going to see it. Yeah. Not, not just the super spiritual ones that... Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've met some of those folks too. I mean, you say, now that one there could hide her own Easter eggs going up there. You, know, you just think, they're, they're not... You know, you know. You know, I'm just telling you, there's coming, there's coming Holy Ghost knowings that are going to say, you know what, unstable is okay. Actually, unstable is our journey. Unstable is the only way that our cloths unfurl in the spirit realm of worship and the wind carries us to the new place. And we've got to be okay with being unstable a bit. We've got to be a little bit okay with having to set it all up one more time and let the wind catch it in that region. You know, what, what atmosphere are you going to shift next week and where is that going to be? And yes, it, 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 it's, it's a big job doing all this stuff that all you guys do. And, and the Lord wants to, you to know this. Thank you. There, there's going to come times when there's going to be seasons of anchorage. And God's going to give you anchored systems at times because sometimes we need to have anchorage. We need to have those seasons of sitting in the harbor, but you weren't built for the harbor. You were built for the spirit realm, and you were built for when the storms come, somebody knows how to set the sail. Allow yourself now, as heaven is aligning with worship, allow yourself now to be those that are bold in their worship. Worship in spite of weariness. Those that praise louder than their pain are the ones that God is awakening in this day. Allow yourself to be bold in your worship. We, and another thing I want to I say to you is we've got to stop worshiping the way we want to. See, old church structures in this nation are being replaced right now by heaven structures. Heaven has a sense of structure that is going to establish boats that can stand in the storm. And, the mo and, and listen to this. Oh, the most vibrant churches in a city typically loses its vibrancy when it grows to a point deemed worthy to sustain and manage. Then it disappears from the battlefield of taking things in the spirit because they no longer contend for a corporate sound of heaven that's over the place. They begin managing what they have built. And God wants to do something here that man cannot... Man Remember I said it? Manufacture cannot manage and certainly cannot manipulate god's going to do something that only by his spirit but those willing to unfurl the revelatory realm and catch the next wind they're the ones that's going to the new place and they'll never be they'll never be caught guilty in the place of of 
religious restraints and confinement. Go ahead and dream the dreams of God in your life. God is more than able to take you into a new place, and if something gets lost, He'll resurrect what you need in the power realm to get it done when you get there. But He said, pick it up for yourself. Now, you know what, what these guys really were? When they came and they said, this, this don't, you know, it's too constraining and too confining. What they were were misfits. They didn't fit in yesterday's deal. And that's what prophets do. They awaken misfits and take people beyond obligation to church into fascination with God. It's a fascinating place to know God. See, religious fears hold us a lot of times when nations are waiting for what God has done in your life. Huh. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants saying my camp will be in such and such a place and I'll just, I'll just paraphrase this whole thing for you here to save a little time. Uh, the paraphrased version goes like this. The nation was at war and the old guy, prophet Elisha, messed up. You know what he did? He was so sensitive in the spirit realm and so strategic in the spirit realm that he could see and hear the enemy's strategies before they would even do it. And he was speaking and giving prophetic revelation to things that were only spoken in the enemy's chambers, in the bedchamber. And he'd just come out and he'd say, you know what? Here's what the enemy's doing. Here's, what the, here's how they're moving and this is what's going on. He was so alerted to the spirit realm that he could expose darkness because he was walking as a revelation of light. And that's what, so we don't have to pull down strongholds. We just access heaven. We pull down heaven, not strongholds. And when we're pulling down heaven, the enemy, the demonic realm, will expo it will expose itself, but it'll never be our focus. And so all he did is he just brought the truth. Hey, look, this is what's going on with them. And then, and then C now comes to him and says, oh, guy, you're going to get us killed now. You know, what you're, you know what you're doing here? You're exposing the enemy, and they're going to come down on us. This is going to be war. This is going to be conflict. Now you're going to get us all killed. And sure enough, the next day, they walk out on the porch and stretch that morning. And, and, uh, and uh, see now, says, hey, old guy, get out here. I told you, look. Look, I, I must be a prophet. I told you what was going to happen. Look, and they looked and hundreds of thousands of horses and chariots already poised, ready for for the attack. And old guy says, well, right there, when they arose early, and, and, and the young guy says, what are we going to do, master? What are we going to do? You know, we can't just call up an axe head and fix this one. What are we going to do? He answered, and he says, let me tell you what we're not going to do. He says, do not fear. Yep. Fear cannot be a part of our new day. How did I say? Let me, let me just, where, where's, hang on. I, I wrote something down that I want to say to you. I write everywhere. I write on, I write on, I, I write on my, on contact lenses sometimes just through. Yeah, what was I looking for? Fear not, wasn't it? Okay, let, let me tell you about what, let me tell you what, what, what I'm trying to say here. The first the, the most, uh, 
I know where it's at on the page. If you choose to swim in the rising tides of the fear in these streets, you chance drowning in a storm of their hostilities. We cannot yield to the hostilities of the dark realm and expect anything other than to just drown in, drown in their storms. But if you choose to swim in those rising tides of fear, that's, that will be your watery grave. But I'm going to tell you here, there's a generation now that not only will call up power, up resurrection power out of the water, God has given a grace for them to walk on the water into the new day. And it's, and it's seasons of revelatory, revelatory, wave after wave after wave after wave of God's knowings that's going to be faithful to carry you into the new day. Now he's standing there in this next place, and, the, and the, he says, Oh, guy, look what's happened. And he says, do, Let me tell you what you cannot do. Do not fear. For those, then those that are with us, those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And then, enough said. I ain't talking to this anymore. He just prayed. And what did he pray? He said, Lord, open the eyes of see now. And let old see now see what's really going on. So when he said, open the eyes of my servant, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. You know what this speaks to us? There's a generation about to experience spirit realm awakenings. That's why we're going to be experiencing angels and experience signs and wonders and miracles. We're going to experience those things where, where creativity. See, what we're talking about here is a creative culture carrying a sound into the new day. And the creative culture. And, and look what happened. He says, when he prayed that prayer, the Lord opened the eyes of the next generation. And the first thing they saw was in verse... 17, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Did you know that this is not a Bible story? This is not a Bible story. This is a promise. So when the Syrians came down, but somebody who has... So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people. Now look here. This prophetic guy has the power now to shut the eyes of the enemy, strike them blind, do whatever he wants to do. Because there's a generation now moving corporately in a, in a new sound. I want to show you that in just a second. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men. Now what happened was he had the ability to close the eyes of the enemy and he could have just killed them and wiped them out. But rather the mercy of God was also found in the prophet's words. And he took those and fed them and and then declared their eyes open. So you see that, the, that they're walking in the supernatural power. Now, now again, let me give you a, a, a bit of a shortcut. But it ha we're going to go to verse 24, and I want you to see the kind of the next unfolding. It happened after this that Benadad, and Benadad, the king of Syria, gathered his army and went up to besiege Samaria. Now, uh, let's, let's watch this. Ben, uh, now, Benadad, first of all, Benadad means uh, uh, the son of false god. This, this was an idol. His name, he was actually, his name in nature depicted idolatry. And, when he, and, and what he did is he went and he besieged Samaria. And the word Samaria is actually, the, it means watch mountain. It's, it was the a mountain where the intercessors watch over the, the culture. And there at watch mountain, idolatry had moved in and because idolatry had moved in there's now famine in the land 
You know, the Bible says that in Amos 8.11, there was a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord in the land. Amos 9.11, famine is broken because God says, but I will build again the tabernacle of David, and when I build the tabernacle of David, there will be an accelerated harvest take place. And the tabernacle of David is what? A creative culture that move in the fullness of the power of the Lord based upon the spontaneity of the spirit realm, awakening creativity and worship and sound and song and life and everything that music is. So if you want to break famine over this place, in the places of idolatry, what you, what you do is you find a bunch that carry a fresh wind of God and are moving out of the spontaneity of the Spirit, bringing the language of heaven as lyrics of life into an environment so that when, when the, the musicians play, the singers play, whatever it is, there's an atmosphere so charged with the presence of God that everyone is seeing and hearing and experiencing presence. And the overflow of their worship then empowers them to move in supernatural realm creativity, raising up restoration of power, resurrection of power, axe heads floating, blind eyes opening, crippled limbs, experiencing God without the next super wild ministry, you know, Shondai kind of deal, you know, I'm just saying without the power of all the personality and stuff, it's the power of the presence of God. And so, what are y'all talking about? Here we go. Now it says there was a famine of, in, in the land. There was a great famine in Samaria. See, here's the way famines work. When idolatry would take, would happen in any, at any time in Israel's history, once the people of God lost the pure sound of their song of their worship and lost their creativity in interacting with God, when he'd lose the worship, what the enemy would do is then he would move in and encamp against, I talked about it, and infiltrate. And then pretty soon the song is gone, pretty soon everything is gone. And once the creativity, once the worship is gone, a famine would come upon the land. This happened nine times in the Old Testament. Why did they, nine times in the Old Testament there was a, basically what we would call revival. Nine times. Why do you have to have revival? Because in nine times in the Old Testament, God's people would begin to go whoring after other gods. And when they would lose the worship, no longer favor of God on the land, it would be now a famine upon the land. And right now, I don't have to tell you, there is a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord in London. There's a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. That's why we're trying to find all of these definitions and get our theology to match up with the absence of God. Where are the people that says, hey, you know, one of the reasons England can live with, uh, England is, is not having revival right now is because they are willing to live without it. May that be a challenge to every one of our hearts. May we never be willing to live without the full expression of the power of God ruling and reigning in our lives. What happens when you have famine in the, in the, in the land? A land that was built for prayer. A land built for presence of God. What happens when famine comes? What were, they, what were they actually feasting on? What was sustaining them and keeping them alive? Well, if you look there, you find out that it was donkey heads. How in the world? Have you ever looked at a donkey head? And you think, boy, I'd love to have some of that right now. 
Oh, look at that donkey head. Boy, if I just had some gravy to go on that donkey head, everything would be better. And see, donkey heads don't carry much meat, just a little bit right there on the jowls, you know. Not much nourishment in it. I just don't see the attraction to donkey heads, but these folks were eating donkey heads. And you know what donkey heads represent? Is they mule-headedness. Just mule-headed intellectualism, gray matter, stubbornness, know-it-all, got it all, seen it all, done it all, heard it all. Mule head won't keep you alive. A donkey head is just a little slower death is all. And if intellectualism stands between you and embracing God, there's something missing in your life. And you just become mule-headed and determined to survive even. See, we can dress it up and make it look good. You know, so donkey heads. What, what's the number two thing they were eating? Dove dung. Mmm. Yum, yum, dove dung. Love to have me some of that, wouldn't you? See, when there's no nourishment and there's no life in a culture, what do you do? You eat dove dung. And all dove dung is... It's just what is left over after the dove is gone. It's what's, let me say it another way, it's what's left over from a former movement. Are you getting the picture? It don't get prettier, it, keep, it just gets uglier. If you're eating dove dung, if, you're, if we're only devouring what's left over for a, from a former movement, we're in trouble. And what's the third thing that they were eating? They were devouring, they were eating their own children. How desperate and dark does it have to become for one generation? And let's, let's clean it up a little bit, because I don't even know how to imagine the pain. I don't know how to imagine that. I can, but they were devouring the next generation. They were devouring their own future. They needed a revival. And in the middle of that atmosphere, see now, an old school walks in. And when Elisha walked into that environment, the same one that had been seeing the strategies of the enemy was immediately awakened to the hope of God. And he, sa he said, guys... He didn't prophesy one day, someday, way out there somewhere. He said, tomorrow, about this time, everything's going to change. Wow. Now, where are the prophets that will not just speak prophetic words that give excuse for God to change his mind 20 times between now and then? Where, where are the people, generationally, that move together, not in some hierarchical political system built around powerful personalities, but a people that walk together into environments that are eating their own children and devouring dove dung and intellectualism and devouring, caught in the throes of famine. Where are the people as a company of prophets, as sons and daughters of the prophets that will walk into those environments and that'll release sounds and awaken hope to the misfits and those unstable ones and they carry such a song that they can say, you know what? Tomorrow about 10 to 1, everything's going to change. Tomorrow about such and such, everything's going to change. Tomorrow about. That, that is a word to awaken 
not just hope it happens. That is not about foretelling and predicting the future. You know what Elisha and that generation did? They didn't predict the future. They created the future because they were carrying something that was far more powerful than the darkness that had come upon the city. Now see, that sounds a bit like sensationalism, grandiose, way off out there kind of preaching. But somewhere there's going to be a people that get this. And when they get this, it's going to get them. And that's going to become the expression of who they are. I could give you hours and hours and hours of stories of what the, in, the, in the physics realm and in the science realm and in the neurological realm and, the, and in the, on a cellular level, what happens when a people grab a hold of music and sound and light and life and, and the radiance of God's presence through the instrumentation that carries tones that cross time and territory and carry truths upon it and awaken people in the physical and the natural. Also, Look how many times cultures, entire cultures and nations were shaped because of a song. Shaped because there was a, the richness of the presence of God's purposes were awakened into not just belief systems, but into fully embrace the truth upon a land, upon a nation, because of what had happened. And sometimes it was born out of the darkest days of their darkest storms and the horrors of their worst famines. And in the middle of that, God would speak and somebody would get it. And it could have started with an Elisha. You know, these guys are called. Who's going to be bold enough to step up to the last generation? The Elishas that call down fire from heaven and all that. Let's get rid of this unsanctified uh, hierarchical system and, and come together around the purposes of God and take it into the new day because we're all carrying something that's valid and valuable for the kingdom. I mean, in other words, what, just what pub is go, revival going to start with here? What street corner is going to experience God in such a way that everything changes? What, what, what system? Is it going to be in parliament somewhere that the finger grows back and shakes and alerts the whole, everybody? Wait a minute. We don't have definition or explanation. We got demonstration of the power of God. And we'll not build a cocoon of our theology around it. We're going to watch God be God. You know, right here on the streets of London, now, yesterday I, I got to go to one of the most special places I've ever been in my life. Uh, uh, Rod and Julie and, and, and Jamie were gracious enough to, to take Denise and I to a place called Epping Forest. And we went to Epping Forest because I always wanted to stand beside the, the grave of, of one who has become a dear friend in my life for, for years and years and years. Because... Way, way back in 1860, in that, in that forest, there was a, a gypsy boy was born. And that, and that gypsy boy grew up knowing that he was a gypsy and he was a misfit. He was an outcast. He did not fit in the culture because he was already bound within multi-generational understandings of what a gypsy is. And in those times, a gypsy didn't, couldn't know Jesus. They couldn't get saved. Uh, there were times in, in this nation's past where a gypsy didn't have the ability to be saved because they don't have a soul. Yeah, that's, that was the thinking. And you talk about not fitting, talk about a misfit. And then when, in the 1870s when D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey were here preaching, one day one of the, one, this 
pastor of the big uptown church in this beautiful carriage. They're out. He's wanting to just take them for a stroll out and show them around a little bit. And they come into Epping Forest and they look, wait, see, see, see in the distance. That's, that's a band of gypsies, peasants. You know, with almost like a curse upon his tongue. He's, and, and about that time, the Ira Sankey, the songwriter, Ira Sankey, the singer, Ira Sankey, the one who introduced a whole generation to a new sound of song. He's sitting in the back while the preachers are up front. Of course, the musician's sitting in the back. <laughs> and he just looks down beside him, and there's a little gypsy boy standing there, and, this, and Ira Sankey said, yeah, okay, whatever. But I'll tell you, this one here will preach the gospel to the nations. And he reached out and he just blessed this little gypsy boy, laid his hand on his shoulder and just touched him and looked in his face and smiled. And then they drove on. And years and years later, that, that uh, uh, there, there in Epping Forest, uh, well, let me back up. When he was a child there in Epping Forest, his mother died. And uh, he and his brothers and sisters were taken away from the wagon and they just stood in the distance because she had fever. And he watched the wagon that carried, the, carried the, his mother and, he, and then they came and told him, mother is gone. And they buried the mother there and, and just without, without even a tombstone there in the, in the Epping Forest. And, uh, and then years later, he, he gave his heart to Jesus. He got saved, and he would stand on the street corners of London, and he couldn't read, but he'd carry a Bible under his arm. He'd stand on the street corners, and they'd like, ah, gypsies can't read. You can't read the Bible. What are you doing? He would stand there, and he says, oh, I can't read it, but I'll believe it, and I'll live it, and I'll carry it until I can. And he would stand there, and he would sing an Ira Sankey song, and people would gather around to hear this gypsy singing a gospel song, and then he would tell them what Jesus had done in his life and what had happened. And pretty soon there was a couple named William and Catherine Booth heard this gypsy on the street and took him in and said, tell everybody what, and, and he'd give his testimony. And now in those days, Salvation Army was a little old place where they couldn't get 10 people in there hardly. But because Gypsy Smith, everybody wanted to come and hear what a gypsy would say about Jesus. And pretty soon the buildings wouldn't hold it. And then they would move him to the, they moved him up into the north in all these old coal mining and industrial towns in the north. And he would have 1,500 to 3,000 coming to every meeting because they wanted to hear what a gypsy would say after he would, but he would never speak until he had sung his heart into the room and over, over the crowd. And when he would get through singing, then he'd tell them what that Jesus meant to him. He, and you know what? It wasn't about singing songs about Jesus. It was about singing songs to him and creating an atmosphere of the full expression of his heart was in the atmosphere. And then it would, then it would awaken hearts and he would, they would arrest him in the kingdom. Until one day, in, I think it was in Hanley, they decided to give him a watch. Uh, he was moving to a different place. They're going to give him a watch, in, a gold watch in gratitude for all that he had brought to all those thousands of coal mining families and ruffians that had gotten saved. And... Uh, and they gave him a watch, and he received it graciously as an act of kindness. Well, that was against the rules in the Salvation Army. You're not to receive anything, so he's out. He's kicked out and gone. And, uh, and he had nowhere to be, nowhere to go. 
So this gypsy went to, went to New York. And when he got to New York, he told a pastor, did, he asked if he could speak there and share his story. He says, as a matter of fact, we're having a great crusade, such and such. Would you come and share your testimony? And so he goes to this place and he walks into the room backstage. And when he walks in, when he walks in, can everybody hear me? Okay. When he walks in, backstage there stands D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey. And Ira Sankey walks up and he says, um, Mr. Smith, it is such an honor to meet you. We've heard what God has been doing in England. You know that's close to our heart. Because it really was. And, he's, and Gypsy said, Mr. Sankey, do you remember the day that you were in the Epping Forest? And you spoke a blessing over a little Gypsy boy. He said, Yes, I am that gypsy boy. He had grown up into the very call that one musician, one poet, one artist looked into the eyes of a little gypsy boy and saw more than a soul. He saw a spirit. He saw life. He saw destiny. He saw purpose. He saw hope. He saw everything. And I want to tell you guys, and I, I, I don't know all the little cultural nuances and prejudices of your land over here, so I don't even know if I'm, if I'm offending people. Uh, you know, come to me after the service and I'll forgive you. Okay? But, 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 the, but the fact of the matter is that the reason people walk the streets with nothing in their lives sometimes and the reason they are misfits in this world and I don't want to put a sense of false responsibility on us, but what if, we, if we're going to see the things of God and we're going to see spirit realm and we're going to see how famines can break and we're going to see how things can change through sound, there's got to be something that we carry in our heart that makes eye contact. And when we make those that have made eye contact with God, God will enable them to make eye contact with those that need to see the goodness of God, need to hear the, and know the wonder of God. What? What if that's what our poetry was about and our songs were about and our life was about? And see, because Ira carried that, when he spoke that life into that young gypsy boy, that young gypsy boy rose up and, and led millions of people into the kingdom. Millions came, into the, came to Jesus because of what he carried. By the time he finished in America, he was having 25 and 30,000 people a night in some of his meetings. And this... And you know what? It wasn't about grandiose preaching. He would just walk out and sing the song that was in his heart. And then he would speak the love of God that was in his life. Did the same thing in Australia and around the world and around the world. And here, how many of you have heard of Gypsy Smith? A few of us have. And you know, when it came World War I time, you know what he did? He, at the height of his career, it's wartime. He shut everything down, closed his ministry down. It's all over, world travel is over, and he took a tent and moved to the front of the battle in Europe and set up a tent one mile from the front, and he ministered to every young man before they would go out to battle, and he always made sure they had tea, a scone, and had written a letter to their mother, or you're not going into war. And he led them one by one to Jesus, day after day after day after day before they go. See, so it wasn't about the stage. It wasn't about the lights. It wasn't about the fame. It wasn't about identity and self-worth. 
His self-worth was born out of the reality of Jesus saved him. And when he got to be 87 years old, 1947 when he died, in 80, uh, 70 years he traveled and got the gospel all over the world. 70 years. And they asked him in his old age, young guys in Georgia one time, they asked him in Cartersville, Georgia, they said, what is the secret to the longevity and success of your ministry all these years? And he said, I never ever, even one day, did I ever lose the wonder of, that God would save a gypsy boy. Never lost that pure, simple understanding of the love of God in his own life. It was never about big ministry stuff. And on his 48th voyage to the United States, this prophet to the nations, carrying the love of God, on his 48th voyage to the United States, he died on the RMS Queen Mary. And in 49, they brought his ashes back to Epping Forest, where his mother had been buried in an unmarked grave. And he had, he had charted it out as very best as he could. And they brought his ashes back and buried his ashes. And there's a huge stone there that everybody walks past now that's a stone of remembrance that sometimes that sometimes the song is not about a church service, it's about a street corner. Amen. The marketplace. The, world, the real world that we really live in. Yeah. Carrying something into that place. That it, if we, you know, I'm already a misfit. Y'all are already misfits. I don't, I don't, fit, it, I don't fit in these old, old church knowings kind of stuff. You, we don't fit in old religious structures. That's why there's something in our heart that says, you know what, this, this is too confining and this is too re restricting. There's got to be some, something far more real than all that. And, and look at this truth that came out of this bunch of misfits. He comes into the city and says, tomorrow everything's going to change. Tomorrow everything's going to change. And what happens? You know the rest of the story, but I'll give you the thumbnail version of it. Once that word was set in motion, you had four guys sitting outside of the gate who had, and they didn't hear the prophecy. There were four guys devoured with leprosy sitting outside the gate, and one of them looks at the other and says, well, what are we going to do, guys? What do you think? And he said, well, I'll tell you what. Here's our choices. We can go in there in the city where everybody used to be praying, but now they're dying. We can go into Watch Mountain, and they're either going to feed us, or we're going to, no, they can't feed us. I'm not eating donkey heads. Are you going to eat it? No. We could go in there. We're just going to die with everybody else. That's what will happen. Or we can get up and walk into the camp of the enemy. They're going to do one of two things. They're either going to feed us, or they're going to kill us. Or the third choice is we can just sit here until we die. And, I, and it never says what they chose to do. They didn't process it and come up with a logical... I think one of them just got up and just started wandering off. You know, this is not about holding caucus around the thing and hearing the Word of God and hearing the strategies and all this. No, they're in a place of, we're going to die anyway. And, and I don't know, you know, I did, a, I did a concert in a leper colony on the Black Sea in Russia back in the early 90s. 
I walked into a room about this size, people sitting shoulder to shoulder. Every person in the room was devoured with leprosy. Some of them had been in that room for 50 years. They're in that, in that little hospital about the size of this floor here, these rooms. And some of them had been there, and ears gone, noses gone, faces gone, limbs gone. An old man named Stepan, he led me into the place. Snow coming down uh, on his shoulders. He's standing on the porch waiting for me on the, on, the, on the only leg he had left. And the other one was whittled out of a handmade hickory. And the arm gone. And an old navy peacoat and a Greek fisherman hat. And when our, when our van pulled up and I felt the bump and I looked out th through the snowy window and there he stood with this big old Mongolian Russian smile on his face. And when I made eye contact with him, about as far as me to you back there, I made eye contact with him. He smiled, and he did like this. I stepped out of the van, and I followed him down this long hallway. And when the door opened, he just, when, he, when, he, when he looked at me, he said, Drosvija. <laughs> and uh, so I, I felt this w warmth of welcome. And when I walked in, the doors, two big doors opened, swung open like that. The room was shoulder to shoulder with people dying of leprosy. And now, I was there in, in Russia. I was speaking at the University of Krasnodar. I was speaking on, the, that there you can actually get a PhD in Southern American culture. So, uh, you know, it, so they got a live redneck to come all the way to Russia just to, to, to but imagine everything behind that. And, uh, but anyway, when I walked in, I, I realized, wait a minute, I'm supposed to preach to this bunch of people. I mean, you got to say, Renee, how are you going to preach to a bunch of people sitting there? Yeah. You know, all of a sudden life got real. Yeah. It wasn't about, you know, charismatic songs and overhead projectors and let's, let's have church service. I just, you know, and, I, and so when you find yourself in those situations, you will always default to who you really are. So I just, I said, hand me my guitar. And so I took my guitar. I'm a songwriter. I'm a storyteller. So what am I going to do? I just started singing songs to him. Sit down. I pulled me up a chair right in the middle of everybody. And I just start singing old bluegrass songs or whatever. She walks through the corn leading down to the river. Hair shone like gold in the hot morning sun. And they're just listening to the music. And then I might sing old, old bluegrass song, Bill Monroe song. I might sing, you know. And, and then I would tell a story. Because I'm a storyteller. I'm a guardian of memories. So I carry the memories in the story. And they're listening and listening. And, and, then, I, and then this one person, would, they'd start telling their story. And then that person, and then he'd start telling his story. They've been here for 30 years. She has never heard his story. Because what has brought them together is pain and loss and the devouring of their flesh, dying away. And all of this survival thing. And I watched this. And then I, they'd say, sing another song. And then I'd sing another song. Tell another story. And, and this kept going. And then they would say, tell us about your God. This is in Russia in the early days. Tell us of your God. And I'd tell them how I got saved at a, in a rock and roll dance in 1971 in the middle of a song called In a God of the Via, I got saved. Somebody told me about Jesus, and I found a yes. And, and so when that would happen, then they'd ask another question and ask them, and I told him, I said, wherever we're supposed to be next, tell them I won't be there. 
Well, I was supposed to be here for 30 minutes. Two and a half hours later, we're still sitting there and everybody's hearing stories that nobody ever heard. And the old man, Stepan, his name was Stepan, the old man that waved me in. He, his story was this. Back in the day, the Russian government would come in, back in the old days, and abduct entire villages, take every person in the village, put them in trains, lock them down like cattle cars, and they're standing shoulder to shoulder against each other. They'd point the trains toward the Siberia, and wherever that train would run out of fuel next week in the middle of the tundra and the snow, that's where that train would stop, and then next spring they would go find the trains, rake all the bodies out, and bring the train back. He said, when I was a little boy, I watched my whole world go away on one of those trains. I was hidden behind a coal shed and watched the whole world go away. And he said, then I later contracted leprosy. I've been in here for 51 years. I've been here. And when, I, when we got ready to go and the thing was over, he stood up and he took his hat off and he put it over his heart. And he says, one old Russian proverb says, that one old friend is better than two new ones. Please come again because you are my old friend. I didn't know what had happened was, what had happened was God had awakened an old knowing in him to realize that life uh, was not just about surviving that day. You know? And, and it's one of the most powerful things. And, we, and you know what? I left my life changed. And the reason I left with a changed life is because in America, we'll get up and stomp out of a restaurant because they don't have cheesecake. <laughs> right. Most arrogant, self-centered bunch of people on earth. It's always everything's about, and how, how often does everything become about us? You know, because we have some sense of entitlement for the things that, no. Gypsy never thought like that one day in his life. They, anyway, I know what leprosy does. It devours and eats away the flesh. And these that had no choice, they didn't have a choice. They were dying anyway. And you know what they did? They just got up and started walking. And when they started walking, listen to this. God caused the sound of their feet. The sound of their feet, not the sound of their guitar. Their banjo or mandolin or ukulele, whatever. The, God caused the sound of their going, the sound of their they're just walking. And he caused the sound of their feet to sound like hundreds of thousands of horses and chariots roaring down upon the enemy. And when they got there, the enemy was gone and no longer famine. Now it's favor of God released upon the land. And let me remind you, where did those guys come from? Remember the other day when Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of my servants. Let them and they looked up and on the mountains there was all the chariots, horses, fire. Let them see there's more with us than there are with, against us. And you know what a mountain is? I love it that they were on the mountain because a mountain is nothing more than two tectonic plates that upheaval. That's what creates mountains. And I want to say that there's people in this room today, you've had a lot of upheaval in your life. And you felt that the most unstable seasons of your life, well, that's actually when they show up. That's when they start posturing themselves for a new sound to come forth out of Kenny's life. 
that's when they start posturing themselves for the, the and all those seasons of upheaval, you find out that that was when God was just ordering and alerting, hey, everybody, get ready. Uh, spirit realm, get ready. When upheaval comes, these are going to be the guys because they've seen you. They know you. They are the ones that will carry the new day. They're the ones that... I don't, I don't even know how to say everything that's in my heart for this day. I'm, I just want to tell you that there are seasons of preparation. There are seasons of training. These guys were walking with a prophetic destiny in their generation that carried it for the next. And I just want, want to ask the Holy Spirit today to alert your tomorrow. We're going to alert the tomorrow of London with all of the mighty things that God's performed in the past. We've been waiting for a generation that will step out of the constraints of the religious, political, and even the cultural systems that, that we try to, you know, saturate ourselves in. There is another realm, is what I'm trying to get said here today. There's another realm. There's a whole nother level born out of cultural upheaval that you guys were sent here for, and there's people all over, all over this room from all over the world, and I understand that. And that's a part of the beauty of what God will do when he starts putting together a prophetic generation. It'll just be those that have already been moved out of places that did not carry the grace that they were created and called for. So if you feel like a misfit and you feel unstable, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. If you don't feel like you fit in this deal, awesome. That is, that is the very first requirement is this world does not do it for me. This ministry thing does not do it for me. This, this whatever it is, there's something deeper that God wants to awaken in your life today. And, uh, and you know, I, I just feel like I want to speak that over your life too, Renee. I have a friend, who, he's here in London right now, just showed up this morning and uh, brought, brought us a prophetic gift, honey. And, uh, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. But anyway, he's, he's, a, he's a Hollywood movie producer guy. And he's been a friend of mine for a lot of years. We never get to see each other. But the first thing he did is he walked in and he said, the Lord gave me a prophetic word and a gift for you. How many of y'all have ever gotten a prophetic word from a movie producer? You know? And so you, so you know that he's one given to seeing and hearing and creativity and this kind of thing. So I was alerted to what this new day of the Lord passing out prophetic awakenings for tomorrow. And he spoke a powerful word to my life just a little while ago that he does not know the depth of. But I'm telling you, this room, and immediately I knew one more time, this room is charged with tomorrow's purposes and prophecies today. This room right now is full of the things that you'll reach out and take a hold of. And for some of you, it's not going to make sense to your natural mind and your flesh. is not going to know what to do. So you know what you're going to do? You're just going to walk forward. You're not going to live in yesterday's, uh, you know, what's going on there. You know, you know the reason church don't do it for you anymore? Because you were created and called to live your life bigger than church. You know, you really are. So what God's doing is putting together a company of prophets, a school of prophets, an army of prophets, sons of the prophets, with and bands of the prophets. Every one of those expressions in Scripture were all for the same bunch. 
that just carried the truth in their generation. And God has given you old school <laughs> and young school. <laughs> I've never seen. Uh, yeah. But think about it. They're, they're, they've been carrying something in their heart for 40 years, 30 years. We were here. We were the very first guests that they invited to London all those years ago. And we came 30 years ago. And we, and, and, and we just can't. So we, now we're friends and don't know why. <laughs> and we're back. Yeah. And, and you know, I didn't mean for that to sound self-referential. I'm saying there's something in the, on the calendar of God's heart. That's awakening something, and I don't think it's by chance that we're we're releasing the sound into the into the you know that that that, that wow I've, am I done? I'm about done. Yeah, yeah. But you, you know, no, you know the neck. The, the, this this ain't about y'all. I'm hungry. I'm leaving here. Yeah, no. <laughs> When I get hungry, y'all can have it. Now I'm just <laughs> gonna go find one of them little things that y'all eat. That's, you know, it, they, ain't, they ain't big enough to eat, but they, anyway. Uh, what, what, when I, whenever the Lord lets us come back, I want the next time I want to tell you what happened on the walls in the days that the musicians wrote the soundtrack for London's Destiny, and it was it was during the medieval times. There were songs that were written that actually carried the knowings of God upon the, de the destiny of London was defined by to what took place during the days of the bubonic plague. And the next time I'm here, I, I want to touch that because musicians are the ones who actually, in, by the, in the spirit realm, they write the soundtrack. You, you know, every generation has its soundtrack that is written by those who un, even unknowingly, they shape culture by their accessing the creativity of heaven. And so when we, when we come back, I want to I give some real time and energy to that. Because this is not church as usual here. You've already figured that out, I know. But you as a people, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just about today. You are not church as usual. And so I just want to awaken that. I want to pray right now. Father, I ask you, Lord, to awaken church as unusual i pray lord that the boat will go ahead and begin to rock oh don't rock the boat now this is a church that says the boat must be rocked this is this is a rocking boat this is a moving boat this is one that catches the wind this is the one that carries a sail called revival they carry a sail called renewal they carry one sail called outpouring they call they carry have a sail already set upon this boat called awakening this is a ship of a, that has, uh, has a movement in it. This is a, this is a boat right, ha right here that carries visitation. This is a boat that carries encounter. This is a people that carry defining moments and define the moments that they step into. This is a harvest machine. This is a harvesting vessel right here. I thank you, Lord, for revival, renewings, outpourings, awakenings, movements, and visitations to be sown into the hearts and lives of people in this room. And we declare that tomorrow, about this time, that revolution begins. We are talking about a revolution. 
We're not talking about Christian rhetoric that gets everybody fired up in a room. We're talking about something of the power of the Spirit that carries a revolution in it. And we're asking, Lord, that the seeds of that revolution break through. And we thank you, Lord, that this day is the beginning of what will be known for a generation to come as a renaissance awakening that has already been set in motion. And renaissance coming when gifted, creative thinkers stop thinking and go ahead and do the unthinkable. So, Lord, I declare right now that the Holy Spirit awakened the unthinkable in the lives in this room. The unthinkable things that will come into the businesses and into the banks, into the hospitals, into the school systems, and into every church in this realm that lifts up the name of Jesus and embraces the cross and embraces a tomb and embraces a resurrection. We declare this day that the branch has been cast into the water. And the power of God will be restored where the power of religion has, has uh, taken, uh, set up strongholds against the simple love of God in this land. Lord, I pray that you'll find the misfits on the street. Lord, awaken the gypsies that are actually prophets. Awaken the, uh, awaken the wounded. Awaken those from Latvia and, and Bulgaria and Africa and Jamaica. And awaken all of those that don't feel like they really fit. They just feel like they're here and they're sitting outside the gate. Well, I declare day, today, Lord, that this be a day that we realize that our, to think about our flesh is absolutely futile. We rise up with the faith of a father and step into our new day. We rise up with the faith of an Elisha to know that those that are with us are far more powerful than those that are against us. Lord, I pray that this be the day of awakening for every person that carries a misfit heart. May they find that it fits exactly into the present day that you've created them for. Lord, I pray that you will invade the intellectual academic systems of this city. Thank, we thank you, Lord, that you've raised up academics in this place and in this, in this city that know you and that will carry a knowing of you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 